0: Let's pray together this morning. Father, this is our cry, this is our prayer, that you would awaken, God, what is inside of us. God, you would tune our hearts, God, to hear your voice, not just for this moment, God, but for the life we live outside of these walls. Father, we pray that we would encounter you today. Now, as we open your word, God, would you open our hearts God, would you speak to each of us individually. God, would you leave us forever changed. We pray this, we believe this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, and it's good to see you all here. I'm glad you joined us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us here today, and, um, and if I had a chance to get to meet you, I'd love that opportunity. Um, after the services, I hang out at the end of this building very far into the hallway. There's a room on the left. Um, Stop by and see me if you have time. I'd love to get to get to know you a little bit, again, if you're visiting or new here. Um, I've got an exciting announcement I want to make this morning. So uh, this coming Friday night, we're holding a special service in this room uh, for all those who call Solid Rock home. Uh, This has been an exciting uh, journey over the last eight years, Um, the journey that God has brought us uh, down and two and, and now here we are and we're about to step into a new leg of the journey which includes new buildings and, and new, uh, new, new things that we've yet to experience together and so this Friday night we're going to get together we're going to talk about the vision we're calling it a vision reveal service And so once again if you call Solid Rock your home I want to invite you to come be a part of that 630 in this room there will be childcare in the other buildings so that's taken care of for you Um, hopefully you can make it um, Friday night so and also on the way out on the right there's a table with little small flyers as a reminder if you want to snag one of those just so you can remember the time in the day or if you want to invite somebody who wasn't here this morning feel free to do that Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning Acts chapter 10 so Um, I'll give you a second to turn there if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible or on your phone, tablet, gadget, however you want to follow along in God's Word. Um, I also want to say this too, if you find yourself wanting to just follow along in a copy of the Bible, we put those under the seats around you. I know it's kind of old-fashioned, but I like the Bible in my hands. Um, If you don't have one, uh, don't have a Bible, that's our free gift to you. So those black hardback Bibles under the seats around you, that is for you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so feel free to take that home with you um, as a free gift. So... Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, We're really at a significant place in redemptive history this morning with chapter 10, so it's going to take me a minute to kind of prepare us and get us ready for what we're going to read in chapter 10 of, of the book of Acts. So much has been building in the Bible, starting all the way back in Genesis, up to this moment of Acts chapter 10. So much of what God has promised and prophesied is going to become reality in Acts chapter 10. Now, we've been getting samples of it and we've been getting hints of it in the last four chapters in the book of Acts. But we're going to turn a significant corner in redemptive history in the book of Acts chapter 10. Now, the last verse of chapter 9, as subtle as it is, actually sets us up for what we're going to read in chapter 10. So let me back up in Acts chapter 9, front half of Acts 9, Saul, who is basically a first century terrorist, becomes a Christian, and in the, in the b- bottom half of chapter 9, we encounter two miracles that God performs through Peter. But the last verse of chapter 9 says that Peter stays in Joppa, and he goes to spend the night in the house of a tanner by the name of Simon. Now, such a subtle little phrase, but it truly sets us up for what we're going to read today in chapter 10. Now, here's why I think that's included uh, in the scripture and and a big part of what we're going to read today. So, at this point in redemptive history, the gospel has exploded in Jerusalem. The church is thriving, busting at the seams, thousands coming to know Christ, miracles being performed daily in people's lives. And so much so that in chapter nine, Peter has begun to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem proper to the surrounding villages and cities. And we found him in chapter nine in Lydda. Then we found him in Joppa. Okay. And so, um, but but what we've yet to see is God move beyond the borders of the ethnicity of the Jews. So it's primarily the Jewish nation that's getting excited, that's feeling the impact of the good news of Jesus, yet all these towns and cities are full of Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And so when Peter goes to stay the night at the house of a tanner, it's actually a very big deal. Because see, Peter, as a faithful Jew, came from a background and a heritage that looked upon any non-Jew as unclean or common. Okay, it was this religious mindset that if you weren't a faithful Jew, you were unclean, unworthy, unacceptable. And to make matters worse, the Jewish nation was forbid to touch the carcasses of dead animals. And they were forbid to come in contact with a person who had touched the carcasses of dead animals. In doing so, you were considered religiously unclean. So Peter, this faithful Jew, he's not only going to going to come in contact with Simon whose job is to tan animal hides whose house was full of probably dead carcasses and skins and but he's going to stay the night with Simon this is a big moment big moment for Peter and a big moment for redemptive history so much has been building to this moment now it's hard for us to to fully grasp how big of a deal this is but we might think of it this way Um, Without knowing your church background, there's a potential that you've encountered something that I like to call churchiness in American Christianity. It's kind of a subculture, if you will. It's a subculture of churchy people who kind of have their own wardrobe, and if you want to be like us, you need to dress like us. It's a subculture of, of, of Christianity that if you want to be like us, you need to talk like us. So you need to throw down words like sanctified and justified. At least you know, every five or ten minutes, just throw a big theological word out there. And when you pray, we need to know that you're really truly meaning it because you need to use big words and you don't use the word thee, you use the word thy, right? And so we have this kind of churchy subculture. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't encountered that in your journey, in your life experience. Right, but we, we too, like the Jewish nation, have in our midst this, this sense of religious piety that, that can tend to look down upon those who aren't like us. right? So you might walk into a particular church setting, right a, a group of people who claim to believe in Jesus and they love him and they've been saved by him and forgiven by him, yet somehow they look down upon people who have tattoos or. Uh, have been to prison or have been divorced or have had a kiddo at a wedlock or right? And so, right, you're welcome to come here, but if you want to be like us, you got to dress like us and talk like us and act like us. Okay, that's kind of what's going on here with the Jewish nation. They're, they're beginning to tolerate the non-Jews, the Gentiles, but what they're doing is they're forcing them, if they want to become Christians, they got to modify themselves and they have to go through the rituals to become clean, to become righteous like us. This is a big deal for Peter, right? He's got, he's got brothers and sisters who, if they find out he spent the night at a, a tanner's house, right? they're going to want to have nothing to do with Peter till he goes and gets himself ritually clean. They're still struggling with these prejudices for people who weren't like them. Now, we're going to pick the story up in just a minute. So what happens is now... Um, in a different city, in Caesarea, um, there's this guy, he's, a, he's a, actually an Italian, um, he's an Italian soldier, and he was a man of authority, had men underneath him, but he was a God-fearing man. And uh, God comes to him, Cornelius, in a dream, and God begins to orchestrate some things like we've seen him doing over the last few chapters in Acts, where he'll speak to one person and speak to another person, and then he causes their stories to merge, and, he, and then he does something divine. And so he does this with Cornelius. He speaks to him through an angel and says, Cornelius, this is what I want you to do. I want you to send some men down to Joppa. And there's a man by the name of Peter there in Joppa. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And I want you to call for him to come back to Caesarea with your men. And then I'm going to do something. And so Cornelius, a God-fearing man, gets up the next morning. He gets a couple of his men. He sends them to Joppa. To Peter. Now, at the same time, God is working through a vision with Peter. So uh, you can imagine Peter, I, I don't know if he had a hard time sleeping that night, but you know, he's basically spending the night at a taxidermist's house, right? And uh, in all his life he's been told, if you so much as come contact with this man or his house or these things, you're going to be dirty and God's not going to accept you. So he probably has some struggles there. Well, God comes to him in a vision while he's praying, and Peter sees this. This sheet kind of descending from the sky. And on this sheet were all these different kinds of animals that the Jewish nation considered unclean. So you can kind of see what God's doing here. And, and Peter's he's seeing this vision come down. And so God tells Peter to, to eat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I don't mind hanging out with unclean people. I don't mind being around unclean things. But you're asking me to engage in something that's going to make me unclean. And so I'm going to pick up in verse 14 on what Peter says to the Lord in this vision. In verse 14, Peter said, this is Acts 10, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, what a statement of exposure of where Peter's heart was. He was willing to... to To surround himself with things that were unclean. But up until this point, he was really relying on the fact, right, that his own moral record had shown that he was still clean. And so he says, God, you know that. I've never, I've never gone that far, right? It would be like God coming to you and saying, Hey, I want you to go hang out with some people in prison. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? They're welcome to come to my church, but I'm not going to go engage in where they are and, and get all in, mixed up in all that mess. Surely you're not asking me to go do that. And so God responds in verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, In just a minute, we're going to get some indication of of Peter's mind and what's happening in his mind and heart. This is a major transition for Peter, right? His whole religious structure that he had grown up with is kind of crumbling down right now. God is speaking to him, telling him to do things that when he was a kid, the grown-ups told him if he did these things, he'd be unclean. His whole heritage is kind of dissolving, if you will, right now in this moment. And so then what happens is these... Uh, servants um, from, uh, that come from Caesarea that have been sent here. Um, they come to Peter, to the house of Simon. They knock on the door and say, hey, um, you, is Peter staying here? And of course, the, Simon the Tanner's like, yeah, he's here. You need to talk to him. And these guys are like, hey, uh, Peter, we were sent here. Uh, we were told to come get you and take you back to Caesarea. God's got something there for you. So Peter loads up and heads back to Caesarea uh, to the house of the centurion. And when he gets there, um, this centurion has already notified his friends and family that Peter's coming and a crowd has gathered there in his house. Now, this isn't a crowd like Peter's used to in Jerusalem that's mainly Jews and just a few Gentiles on the outskirts. We've got a lot of unclean people who have gathered here in this house. And so the first thing that uh, we hear Peter saying in verse 28 is this, Peter says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit with anyone of another nation, but God has shown me something. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's a big moment for Peter, and this is a big moment for the church. And so now what's going to happen is um, this Italian centurion is going to step up, and he's going to say, because Peter's going to say that, and he's going to say, okay, hang on a second. Let me tell you guys what happened, and then, Peter, you go. So he tells all of his friends and family, now, here's what happened. God came to me in a vision, told me to send for him, and I sent some men down, they brought him back. This is Peter. Here he is. Peter, go. And that's where we're going to pick up on it, the story in great detail today in verse 34. Peter's going to open his mouth. In verse 34... Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, it's a big statement, but knowing the whole backdrop makes that statement huge. Truly, I understand is Peter's way, I believe, of saying, finally, I get it. Finally, I get it. Finally, I understand what the Old Testament was was promising. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the nations through you. I get it now. Finally, I get it. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So much of the Old Testament was coming to light for Peter. So much of what Jesus taught and exemplified was making sense to him now. Finally, I get it. So when God said to Abraham in Romans 12, I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation, and then he said, All families of the earth will be blessed, oh, it makes sense now. When Jesus gathered his disciples in Matthew 28 and said, All right, now you guys go and make disciples of the nations, it was finally beginning to click for Peter what God actually intended and he meant. See, the word nations and the word families, both from Genesis 12 and Matthew 28, another way you could translate that is ethnicities. So we're talking about colors of skin, social economic backgrounds, cultures, right? Nationalities, different tribes, different families. Peter's saying, oh, I finally get it. Isaiah 49, six, we find this beautiful promise God says, I will make you, talking to the nation of Israel, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the moment where that promise and prophecy becomes reality. I get it now. Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse 6. God says this, and the foreigners, keep that in mind, foreigners, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold, holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. Who are these? The foreigners. These I will bring to my holy mountain to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The prophet Zechariah chapter 2 verse 11 the front half of the verse says and many nations will join themselves to the Lord that day and shall be my people. You see that the Jews had this mentality. See even their own temple was set out set up with an outer court, it's a place where the gentiles could gather from a distance. Right? They could approach God from a distance. They could watch the Jews worship God as outsiders. And all along, God had been promising through your whole Old Testament, I'm going to be a God of the nations. I didn't choose you, Israel, right? just to work in you. I chose you to work through you, to bless all people, people who aren't like you, people who aren't churchy. People who you think are unclean or people who you think are just common. God says, don't you dare call anybody unclean or common. Nobody in my family is unclean or simply common. This is the moment that the promises of God become earthly realities. There's a... uh, The Apostle Paul opens his first letter to the church in Corinth uh, with a description that that for me reminds me that God didn't choose me because I'm churchy. And God didn't choose me because I'm righteous in my own strength. God didn't choose me uh, because I've learned how to clean myself up. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, the Apostle Paul reminds us all. If you're a Christian, he reminds us all. He says, consider your calling when God called you to Himself. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world the shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of the lord now that's not just god trying to encourage the non-churchy people you get to come to heaven too this is god speaking to anybody who calls himself a christian so if that's you and me god just said i chose you because you are foolish And because you didn't come from a noble birth, I chose you because you didn't have it all together. I chose that which was common and unclean, that I might make it holy, set apart, and clean. That's good news for me, folks. I, I I get a daily reminder, sometimes multiple times throughout the day, of how disqualified I am just to be a Christian, let alone to be a pastor, I still have flesh in the game. I'm still fighting this battle with the flesh like you. Constant reminders that in my own strength, I'm not clean. I'm not holy in my own strength. I've got to rely on God to do something here or I'm hopeless. I'm foolish, ennoble, unclean. Now what Peter's going to do next in verse 36 Let's look at this together. He's going to do what Peter does best. He's going to preach the gospel. And we've already heard Peter do this a couple of times in the book of Acts. We need to hear it again today. Not just because it shows up in the text. That's a good reason to hear it again. But because every one of us needs to hear the gospel again today. Especially those of us who are Christians need to hear the gospel again today. And so in verse 36, Peter explains how this works. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. And what Peter is beginning to describe is that ripple effect. John the Baptist came, preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus steps up into the the public ministry scene, begins to preach, teach, and heal, and love, and forgive, and it begins this ripple effect there that begins to kind of press up against the borders of the nation of Israel, and now is beginning to expand even beyond that. And so Peter's explaining that. And in verse 38, he says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, With the Holy Spirit and with power. And he, being Jesus, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So now Peter is in Caesarea and he's talking about what we collectively they had witnessed in Jesus in his public ministry. And so what he's talking about is the the earthly ministry of Jesus from his baptism all the way up to the cross. Now that's a significant part of the gospel message. Do we fully understand and grasp that Jesus was completely perfect and holy and clean? He wasn't just a good man or a moral man. He was perfectly righteous in everything he did. If he was angry, his anger was righteous. When his heart broke, it was, a, it was a righteous breaking of his heart. Everything he taught, the intentions of his heart, the thoughts of his mind, perfectly clean and pure. Now, why, why is that important to us? Because there isn't a person in this room who can do that. There's not a person on the face of the earth who can do that. And when we get into this... This this trap of saying, well, I'd love to be one of God's children. I'd love to be a Christian, but I'm unworthy. God says, you're absolutely right. You are unworthy, but my son, he actually did everything that you were required to do, and he did it for you. And so when you trust in in my son, I'm giving you his perfectly righteous life. You're not a a stepchild in my kingdom. You're not a a tag-along. You're my son and daughter. I see you as perfectly righteous and clean. You kind of you making the connection now? God would say to us Christians who encounter people, don't you dare call something that God has cleaned unclean. Don't you dare treat somebody who's been saved right as common. And then he goes on from there and they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And we know that this was a tree of the curse. This was a tree that you would hang a criminal on to put them to death. This was a willing sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So what Jesus is saying at the cross is every one of you deserves this death. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your place on the cross. I'm not only going to live my life righteously and give that to you as a gift. I'm going to pay the punishment for your sin by sacrificially dying on the cross. And then from there... Peter says this, But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to, uh, to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is so important for us to understand. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another Inspirational figure. He's just a a Gandhi or a a Mother Teresa or another Pope, somebody, right, who inspires us to be better but can do nothing to fix us. But Jesus not only died, he resurrected. He overcame victoriously what you and I can't overcome, right? The thing that, that causes us to be unworthy is we can't clean ourselves up. I can't fix my sin issue, can you? I've tried, valiant effort. Tons of accountability partners, right? I've tried in my own strength to become clean. I can't do it. Can't. I need the resurrection in my life. Someone who can say, I can overcome your sin and your death. And so Peter lays this out for this crowd. And then in verse 42. And he tells the crowd that Jesus, he says, and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43 to him, this is where we know Peter's beginning to get it. To him, all the prophets bear witness. You see where Peter's getting it? Now I get it. I get what all the prophets were saying. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Here's what just happened in chapter 10. The ground at the foot of the cross just became leveled. For so long in the Jewish mindset, the ground at the foot of the cross was unleveled, even for those who have professed faith in Jesus. They still look down upon the Gentiles. You can come to the cross... But you're gonna to have to work hard to become like us. And so there was this unlevel ground in their minds. And in this moment, Peter's like, I get it. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There is no eth- you know, ethnical advantages. Whether you're Jew or not Jew, you don't-, you don't get better access to Christ. We've all been called to Christ, equally given access to the Father. Why? Because we all equally desperately need grace and mercy and forgiveness. So whether you're churchy and you're playing the part and you're convincing people that you're highly moral and you have it together, or you can, you can barely get yourself out of bed and look at yourself in the mirror because you're so full of shame. Either way, you equally need the grace and mercy of Jesus. You can't get clean on your own. I love what happens next. It's almost this, uh, this kind of reoccurrence of Pentecost here in this moment. Verse 45, actually it was starting in 44. While Peter was saying these things, so he's preaching these things, while he was doing it, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. That's been my prayer this week. As we open your word and read it, God, and we sing it, awaken what's inside of me. Tune my heart to all that you are, that God and his spirit would fall on us today, right now, each person in this room. And then look at what happens from here. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. That's all the churchy people. It's all the religious folk. They were amazed. They're blown away by what the Holy Spirit's doing because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out don't miss this phrase even on the Gentiles doesn't that reveal something about their mindset what we knew God loved us and he was going to give us mercy but that's a big deal even on the Gentiles God is pouring out his spirit God is coming in contact with people right who we used to call unclean Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism, baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is such a significant moment. Because you see, in baptism, what we're all acknowledging, regardless of your color of skin or your background or your your, your, your morality or your track record or your prison record or regardless of all those things in baptism right we're all saying we equally need Jesus right in baptism we're saying that we all have this one thing in common we need the grace and the mercy of Jesus and you, you, you feel the excitement in the room and Peter says let's baptize these folks And the churchy people were a little caught off guard. They were amazed. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay. Now, here's what I wish I could say. I wish I could say from this moment forward, all prejudices were gone in the church. But it's not, is it? Even in the book of Acts, for several chapters, we're going to wrestle with this. See, in Acts 15, the council is going to gather in Jerusalem to talk about this issue. Right? And so we know the prejudices aren't completely gone. We even know from Paul's letter to the Galatians, he tells them, he talks about this issue. He said, There was a time where I had to confront Peter to his face over this issue. So even for Peter, this, this isn't completely gone. It's something that the Lord's going to have to tear down in him and work out in him and remind him of again and again. And me too. Right? Me too. Why? Because I'm prone to go back to old mindsets. I'm prone to, in a moment of grace, say that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. But if I'm not careful, right, I'm prone to wander back into my own self-righteousness and begin to think that somehow the the ground at the foot of the cross is unlevel and look down upon people. I need to hear the gospel over and over again. And here's what I want to leave you with today. Um, my hope and my prayer for every person in this room is that we would make a concrete decision for Christ today. If you're here today and you've never come to that place in your personal journey where you've decided to trust in something you can't see and to believe in this one we call Jesus. I want you to know I want you to do that today. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that. Oh, I don't have to be churchy, I don't have to wear the wardrobe I can come as I am, I don't have to cover up and hide my tattoos, God accepts me? Yes, he does. Well, what else do I need to do? God says nothing, simply believe and trust in my son. I'll do the rest. Matter of fact, he's already done the rest. And in that moment you believe, God makes what is unclean, clean. Maybe today your concrete decision for Christ is even further than that. Maybe you're having Peter's struggle. You know, maybe you walked in here today, uh, maybe not even realizing it until this moment, that you came in today with some prejudices. You know what prejudice really translates to? Self-righteousness. It's you giving yourself permission to look down on somebody else, regardless of what the reason is. And maybe you didn't even realize it, but you walked in today with those prejudices, and like Peter, you need to come to that understanding and finally get it, and lay those things down today. Maybe, Maybe you have come to Christ, but you've yet to make that decision public. Maybe you're reading in this story, oh, baptism matters. Maybe that's the concrete decision you need to make for Christ today. I'm going to invite our worship team um, to come back up, and I'm just going to invite you into a time of personal reflection and prayer um, to think about how God has spoken to your heart today. So I want to invite you now just to pray with me, and, and as we bow and pray, I want you to think about how God has awakened your heart this morning, how God has spoken to you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be um, available and standing at the back of the room. They've got lanyards on that say prayer partner. And this morning, if you'd like for somebody to pray with you about your decision, pray with you about what God is speaking to you, they would be more than happy. They'd be honored to, to pray with you this morning. You could just stand up in a minute and approach one of them and ask, them, can we pray? And they'll, they'll, they'll walk with you into one of our prayer rooms and spend some time praying with you. In a moment, we're gonna stand and sing. Maybe you just wanna stay seated, just praying and pouring your heart out before the Father. I wanna encourage you to do that. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how you reminded us all this morning how you've come to us those of us who are unacceptable unworthy unclean and you have made us clean father this morning we don't take lightly the invitation God, to be in your presence on one hand we're every person in this room we're reminded of how again how unworthy we are to stand in your presence and God that reminder makes Christ all the more sweeter we're all the more thankful that Jesus has done something to fix us that we could stand in your presence God today clean forgiven made righteous adopted as sons and daughters So God, we turn over this time to you, speak to us, work in us, as only you can do. And we pray this in the majestic and powerful name of your son, Jesus.